So I want to start with some questions. I'm going to start with some questions. Have you ever been hurt by another person? You don't have to raise your hand on that. Maybe right to your face or through social media. Have you ever been rejected? Have you ever been abandoned? Have you ever been left alone? Have you ever felt alone? Have you ever been falsely accused of something? Have you ever paid the price for something that you didn't do? Now, I don't mean to start this on a down note because it's a beautiful weekend, right? But, but let's be real. Sometimes we go through some really hard things. As we continue our, our journey through Scripture, we come today to the end of Genesis, and there's this great statement at the very end of Genesis by a, by a man who described everything I just mentioned, every one of those things. And he says in Genesis chapter 50, verses 19 and 20, here's what he says, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me. But what? But God meant it for what? Good. Do you believe that? Does God do that? Does does he take painful things like rejection and loneliness and abandonment and false accusation and confusion? Is he really able to take all the attempts of people used to tear us down? Is, can he take those things and build us up? Can God really do that? Take your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis Chapter 37, and I'll set the context. And if you guys right there will help me with my time there, I can't see how much time I have left. And uh, I don't want to keep you here all night. Okay? All right, Genesis chapter 37. As we work our way through this uh, passage, let me set the context. During the last time together, we considered a covenant that God made with Abraham. And remember, in a covenant, you always have a relationship, a promise and a future. And God made that with Abraham and that promise. God said, Abraham, <clears throat> you're going to be, you're going to have a great nation and, and you're, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed through you. The problem was Abraham didn't have any children. How in the world could the nations be blessed when he didn't have a, a son to, to bless the nations? That was when Abraham was around 75 years old. God waited 25 more years When Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah was 90 years old, he told them they were going to have a baby. You remember what Sarah did? She laughed out loud. But God kept his promise and they named the boy Isaac. And then Isaac grew up. He got married to a woman named Rebecca. They had a son named Jacob. And God continued to tell his promise. He repeated his promises to Isaac and to Jacob. Now, Jacob had two wives. He didn't intend to have two wives, right? How do you not intend to have two wives? He wanted to marry the love of his life. Her name was Rachel, but through some clever trickery, Rachel's dad substituted Rachel's sister, Leah, for the ceremony 
and for the wedding night. And when, and I love scripture, when, jo- when Jacob woke up from his wedding night, scripture just says, behold, there was Leah. Now that's the Hebrew. I think Jacob said, what in the world just happened here? As he looked and saw someone who was not the person he thought he was going to marry. He did end up being able to marry Rebecca or Rachel as well, but needless to say, now you have Leah and now you have Rachel and there are, there are, there's tension in the home. Years later, fast forward, Jacob has 12 sons and a daughter. Rachel is the mother of Joseph and she's the mother of Benjamin and she actually died in childbirth as she was giving birth to Benjamin. Now, Jacob is a single dad and he broke the number one rule of parenting. What's that? Favoritism, right? Favoritism. Look at chapter 37, verse 3. Now, Israel, that's Jacob, loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. They couldn't say one peaceful word to him. Now that multicolored robe was an expensive garment. It reached all the way down to his wrist. It reached all the way down to his ankles. And besides just being a beautiful robe, it was a symbol. That robe was saying, you are the favored one. You are going to be the heir. And every time Joseph wore it, it was saying, I am special. I am very special. And Joseph wore it everywhere he went. Besides rubbing his brother's face in that cool coat, it seems like Joseph flaunted his favor, standing with a bit of a swagger and arrogance during his teenage years. He was happy to tell on his brothers and get them in trouble. We read about one of, that, uh, one of those times. And then one day, God gave him a dream saying that your brothers are going to bow down before you one day. It would have been a dream. It should have been a dream. Jacob kept to himself, but he didn't do that. And he shared it with his brothers. And they hated him for it. So let's be real here, all right? Would you agree with me that sometimes the pain in our lives is caused by us? Our personality, our arrogance, our ability that turns into pride, our desire to show off our multicolored robes. Could we agree? that the pain isn't always caused by others. Sometimes it's caused by our own sin, right? And we need to admit that if we're going to grow as a follower of Christ. We can't blame everything on everybody else. But God graciously works even in our sin to write our story even using the consequences of our sin. You guys with me on that? Let's be real about something else. Sometimes God has to do some pretty um, severe things in our life to sand off the swagger, 
to humble us a bit and to prepare us for his purposes. And if you're a believer, he is always preparing us for his purposes. Second, Corinthians chapter four, verse 17. Paul says, for this light, for this light in momentary affliction, for this light. (laughs) So what it says is this. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing us. Paul's saying in light of eternity, it's all pretty light now, even the hardest. But it's preparing us for the things that God has for us. And here's what I want you to know today, and I want you to take this home, and I want you never to forget this. God never wastes our time, does he? Will you say that with me? God never wastes our time. So one day the brothers are out. They are working the sheep. Joseph is sent to check on them. Jacob says, Joseph, go check on them. Now that's just a a little clue there. Joseph wasn't out with them working the sheep. He was at home. And so the dad says, go check on them. And he goes about 25 miles away and uh, he comes up on them as they are working the sheep. In Genesis chapter 37, verse 18, they saw him afar, and before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. And they said to one another, "Here, here comes a dreamer. Come now, let's kill him and throw him in one of the pits. And then, and then we will say to, that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. Let's kill him. Reuben was the oldest. He said, let's don't kill him. Let's just rip off his coat, that coat that we hate, that reminds us that he always wears. Rip it off. Let's throw him in a pit. And that's what they did. Took off his coat, threw him in a pit, and they went off to eat lunch. And as they're eating lunch, a caravan comes by, a caravan of camels, the Ishmaelites, a caravan of camels loaded down with spices, headed to Egypt, and so they decided to sell Joseph as a slave for 20 shekels, so about $200. Now, you remember the end of the story? What you meant for evil, God meant for what? Good. Do you think Joseph felt very good about what was happening at that point? He made that statement, In Genesis 50, 22 years later, on that day, he had been beaten, betrayed, and was being dragged along in a line of slaves, the favorite son headed to a foreign land, and he did not know the end of the story. By the way, none of us know the end of the story, right? When God orchestrates our story, the things God uses for good don't always feel good at the time. And in the middle of our story, not knowing the end of our story, we don't always enjoy parts of our story. The perspective we finally see in the distance is sometimes painful in the present. But here's what we have to know, even when it doesn't feel like it. There's this truth of Scripture, God never wastes our time. The clarity we gain at the end of our pain 
is a long way sometimes from the confusion we experience in the middle of our pain, but God never wastes our time. And whatever you're going through today, he's using that. He's using it to prepare you for what he has for you tomorrow. Even when it hurts, even when you don't understand it. Because that's the truth of God's word. Not always how we feel, is it? We always got to go anchor back into the truth. Today we celebrated communion. There was a time when the cross didn't look like the story was going to end very well, right? 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 23 and 24. When he was reviled, when Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he, was su- when he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. Even on the cross, Jesus said, I'm trusting myself to the one who is going to turn this out for good. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds. We are healed. Think about that. By his wounds, by the suffering of Jesus on the cross. That's what healed us. God works things out for our good. So don't give up in the middle of the story. If you just saw the cross, you saw a painful, bloody mess, but it ended up healing our hearts. So in the middle of your story, God's working it all out. Remember, he's the mighty creator. Nothing is too hard for him. Remember, he's the God of redemption we've seen. He's going he's gonna to work this out. Remember, he's the God of covenant. I got a relationship with you. Here's some promises I make to you. We have a future together. Regardless of how it feels today, I'll never leave you, never forsake you. So Joseph is in a line of slaves. He arrives in Egypt, the favored son turned slave. He's purchased by Potiphar, the captain of Pharaoh's guard. And for the next 13 years, Joseph's life was a roller coaster. But check this out. Genesis chapter 39, verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph. Even in a line of slaves? Even when he sold to Potiphar? Yeah. The Lord was with Joseph. Even as he was trying to make sense of it all. The rejection, the betrayal, God was with him. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. If you're in the middle of a challenging time right now, just jot down Psalm 73, 23 through 28, where the psalmist, Asaph, says, I don't, God, I don't know what you're doing. <clears throat> it seems like everyone else is getting a along further than me. It seems like the, the, the arrogant uh, get, get rewarded, and here I am, and, and, and my life's falling apart. And then he comes to verse 23, and he says, nevertheless, I am continually with you. God's always with us. You hold my right hand, even when it hurts. You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you receive me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you, and there is nothing on earth earth I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my what? My portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You'll put an end to everyone who's unfaithful to you. 
but for me it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, even in the midst of the hardest times, that I may tell of all your works. You hear what Asaph is saying? God, you're writing my story. And you're going to be my refuge, and I'm going to keep you as my refuge, because I'm going to, one day, I'm going to look back, and I'm going to say, here's how God worked it all out. You are writing my story. Look at Genesis chapter 39, verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, even as a slave in Potiphar's house. And he was in the house of the Egyptian master. His slaves saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands, even as Joseph is going through these confusing, God, what did you doing? I was a favored son. Now I'm a slave. My brothers betrayed me. They're still hurt. There's still pain, but God's with him. And Pharaoh finds favor with him and Pharaoh, Potiphar rather, and Potiphar wasn't the only one who found favor with Joseph. Who else did? Potiphar's wife. Several attempts to get Joseph in bed. One day she grabbed him and grabbed his garment and he ran away and she, he was, she was holding his garment and she accused him of sexual harassment using the garment as evidence. Joseph was put into prison because he obeyed. It's kind of crazy, isn't it? Running from sin, he got put in prison. Sometimes we get in trouble when we run to sin, right? And sometimes we get in trouble when we run from sin because God's writing our story. Just imagine how confused he is. One day he's in these warm marble floors of Potiphar's house. The next day he's in this damp prison and he's saying, God, wait, time out. I don't understand what just happened. I obeyed you. I did what you wanted me to do. And here I am in prison. Maybe you're there. And so I'm just asking you, like Joseph, allow God to write your story right in the middle of confusion. He puts, he's put in prison, and just like everywhere else, God blesses him in everything he does. And so he goes to prison, and the prison guards say, that guy is a leader, God's with him, and he becomes kind of in charge of the prison. And he meets two guys. Remember, he met a cupbearer and a baker. They had fallen out of favor with Pharaoh, and uh, they're put in prison, and, and, uh, and Joseph met them, and, and, and they had a dream. So they shared the dream with uh, with Joseph, and he was able to interpret it. And uh, the cupbearer, he said, uh, you're going to get out of prison, and uh, Pharaoh's going to put you back where you were. You're going you're gonna to join his staff again. Everything's going to be good. And it happened. And so the baker had a dream, and he went, and uh, he asked uh, Joseph, what, will you interpret this? And Joseph said, well, you're going to get out of jail, but uh, Pharaoh's going to hang you on a tree, and the birds are going to eat your flesh. So the baker said, hey, just kidding. I did not want to know what the interpretation was. When uh, Joseph interpreted the dream of the cupbearer, he said, hey, when you get out, tell Pharaoh about me. And um, the cupbearer did, but you know how long it took him to do it? Two years. 
two years later, when Pharaoh had a dream, the cupbearer said, oh my goodness, I forgot. There's this guy who can interpret dreams. And so they went and got Joseph and they cleaned him up and they brought him to Pharaoh and he interpreted uh, the dream that uh, Pharaoh had had and there were going to be seven years of famine uh, followed by seven years of plenty. And so Pharaoh said, I'm going to put you in charge. And now Joseph, this favored son, turned slave, falsely accused, been in prison. Now he's second in charge. Pharaoh gave him royal garments to wear, gave him a chariot to ride, a daughter to marry. What do you think Joseph's thinking during this time? We don't know for sure, but he has two sons, and the names he gives his sons just gives us a little hint about what's going on in his mind. Look at verses 51 and 52 of chapter uh, 40, uh, 41. 41, chapter uh, 51. Chapter 51, verse... Let me, I'm going to get this right. I, I, I honestly am. Chapter 41, verse 51. There we go. Joseph called the name of his firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. Hear, 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 hear Joseph say, man, it was a tough time. But God's been with me. Now he's blessed me with the son and he's helping me forget the hard times of the past because God's writing this amazing story. Here I am, second in command. And, and then he had a second son, Ephraim, and Ephraim means, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Joseph said, I'll never forget. This is not where I'm supposed to be. I'm, I'm the heir of, of, a, of a man many miles from here. A lifetime away from here, it feels like. 13 years have gone by. But God has been writing my story. In due time, uh, a famine came, and Joseph had been successful in gathering all the grain. And now we go back to Jacob and his family. There are 66 people in that family. It's hardly a Hardly a group you think is going to bless all the nations of the world, right? We'll find out how they grow quickly next time. But Jacob sends the brothers to Joseph, and after a series of meetings, he, uh, he lets them know who he is. They, of course, think they, he's going to kill them, and he doesn't. But then in chapter 50, verse uh, 19 and 20, he's 56 years old. Jacob... His dad just died, and now the brothers say, now he's going to kill us because our dad's gone. And that's when he says, don't fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. What do we learn from that story? God never wastes our time. He uses everything 
to write our story. And your story is no different than Joseph's. Just at a different time. Maybe some different circumstances. God uses your hurt and your pain and your questions and your confusion and your rejection to write an amazing story. And at the end of it all, you'll be able to look back, I promise, and say what? That was a mess, some of it. But God meant it all for good. And he wrote an amazing story. As we close, we're just going to close with prayer. And uh, here's what I'd like to do. Um, some of you are going through some tough times. Some of you are right in the middle of your story. You're, you're kind of where Joseph was when he was, his hands were tied in front of him and he's in this line of slaves. Or, or maybe you're at that point where you, you obeyed. You did it right. You did it right. And uh, you're in prison. So as we close our, our time, uh, let me just pray for us, all right? You know where you are. And uh, just allow God to, to talk to your heart and work in your heart. And um, I'm no prophet, but I just know the truth of God's word. He's writing an amazing story, even in the midst of your pain. Let's pray together, okay? Father, I, I, uh, I thank you for our time here today, our time to take communion together, and our time to look at your word with Joseph's story. What an amazing story you, you wrote <laughs> in his life. And Lord, you're doing the same for us because you never change. You are that mighty creator. You're that unchangeable God. Same yesterday, today, and forever. You still write stories. And so I pray that you'd be with that person here today, really struggling really feeling like they've been uh, neglected, maybe hurt by other people, maybe left alone. Maybe, Lord, if we would admit it, because of our personality or our sin, or we've done some things that kind of brought on pain. But Father, speak to that person right in the midst of their story and just remind them you're God who never leaves us. You're God who never forsakes us. We're reminded in Joseph's story that even when, even when he's in the slave line, you are with him. And even when he goes to prison, you are with him. And you're the God who never leaves us. You are always with us. So comfort hearts, bring clarity to confusion. And just remind us, Lord, with the with strength of your spirit that you never waste our time. You're writing a magnificent story. You guide us in this earth as Asaph, the psalmist, tells us, and then you take us into glory. And that's where the story has its climax when we see you face to face. Thank you, Lord, that you never waste our time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.